Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Well, we are back after our two-week hiatus, as we tend to do. Um, I am uh, very excited about our next few episodes, although I will admit that these next couple of episodes are going to deviate ever so slightly from some of the more uh, you know interpersonal theory-focused uh, shows that we've done. Um, but by the end of it, we will be in a place where we can uh, more aptly wrap our heads around kind of how relationships work and why they're so important. So that's kind of what we're going for in this one. And uh, specifically today, we're going to be having a conversation about the experience or uh, maybe you might say the performance uh, of, of womanhood. And to help me do that is a guest that We've never had on the pod before, which is exciting because we've had so many repeat guests this season. So we have a new guest. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined by my good friend, Gia. How are you? Thank you for joining. I am good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm a little tired, but I have a feeling that this episode will breathe a bit of new life into me. So we'll see. We'll see how well we can do with that. Um, when we have new guests, we like to do just a very brief, you know, background introduction, kind of like where are the areas uh, that you study and maybe how it relates to the topic that we'll be going over today. So if, if you wouldn't mind your, your elevator talk. <laughs> my elevator talk. Uh, as I pull my microphone off because I move my hands a lot. Uh, <laughs> my name is Gia. Um, I have a master's in English uh, TESOL where I studied um, gender and specifically trans persons and how they understood their gender from text. And then I'm ABB um, in linguistics, where I studied multilingual trans users um, and kind of their identity construction, how they understood themselves. So a lot with gender and sexuality and kind of the intersections of that and other kind of marginalized identities. Wow, that was better than most can do in terms of conciseness. That was nice. Um, and yeah, of course, as we've been alluding to, we're going to be talking today about womanhood and the performance of womanhood. And of course, embedded within that conversation is a broader discussion of like gender and identity. And so I'm very thankful um, for you joining, especially since uh, there were a couple other folks who were originally going to do this episode and they just couldn't do it. And so it's really nice to be able to find somebody who has this sort of, um, you know, niche expertise who can contribute. Ready to get going? Yeah, I think I'm ready. All right. Let's start with good old Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> now, uh, I want to preface this by saying when I teach interpersonal communication, one of the first things we go over when it comes to verbal communication is the difference between a denotative versus a connotative definition, whereas, uh, you know, the former is like the dictionary understanding of a word and the latter is a more socially agreed upon understanding of that same word. With that said, Webster's Dictionary it defines the word woman as an adult human female. On the other hand, scholars who write about womanhood and the identity of being a woman uh, have argued in the past that that definition is myopic, single-minded, perhaps incomplete. So my first question is, what usefulness does that Webster's Dictionary of the word woman hold, and what gaps does it leave in our understanding of womanhood? 
Well, I would first actually critique the whole connotative and denotative idea just from the beginning, mm. because dictionary definitions aren't some kind of platonic ideal that emerges from from nowhere. What they are is just what we've observed in the data. That's all dictionaries do. They go, how do people use this? They use it like X. That's what the definition is. So when it comes to that, it's common use. And common use is never really good for talking about things with a lot of nuance and kind of like complexity. So if we really want to understand something like womanhood, which is so kind of pervasive and kind of common everywhere, we need to like make our language much more specific. So when we say adult human female, we're relying on people to have this passing understanding of those words. Like even the concept of femaleness itself is just an abstraction from the biologic realities of like what people are as opposed to their actual category, if that makes sense. Mm. So that's that's where I would critique it. It's useful insofar as casual conversation, but not really anything past that. If you want to understand something, you need better language. Oh, that's so interesting. So um, I, I, I like that you've conceptualized it as like a conversational versus non-conversational, because now I'm picturing interaction, right, where you're you're talking to somebody, right? And you say, oh, I met this woman the other day, right? And right in your head, you get an image, perhaps, maybe they describe this person. Um, but I think that the, the point you make there is, is worth noting that when you do that, when you have that conversation, um, you're not necessarily conveying anything about the person's identity other than your own perception of them. Is that, is that kind of where you're taking that? I would absolutely agree with that. You are conveying a set of social norms about the, the person you have seen but nothing about them themselves. Okay, so we've got usefulness in terms of like colloquial, in terms of like advancing discourse, uh, or rather advancing conversation, but not necessarily advancing discourse, uh, right? And I think that that's perhaps one of the main gaps that we have in that definition. Um, and a lot of scholars who write about gender, I'm, I'm sure yourself in included, have at least at some point brought into the discussion the idea that gender uh, is more performed than it is anything else. Um, I discuss this with my students when we talk about identity, how there are many different ways in which we can present and perform our identity. And our expression of gender is one of those uh, performances. I've noticed in the past that some folks have difficulty understanding or, or, or linking that together, that gender can be and, and very often is performed. And I think perhaps some tangible examples might help. So I'm hoping maybe you might be able to access some examples of how womanhood specifically can be performed. And by the way, the, <laughs> the notion of two mask presenting individuals talking about womanhood. Uh, the irony of that is not lost on me. So we will need to do a little bit of justice uh, uh, to, to the women in the audience here. So uh, anyway, uh, can you can you reach for, perhaps for some of those examples? Well, I first I would say womanhood and woman themselves are two different concepts because mm. womanhood relies on uh, age and kind of class and a whole bunch of other stuff. But like when you are thinking about someone's gender, you're just thinking about how they perform a particular understanding of something, right? But womanhood, when it's performed in society, we are both in North America and the United States, we think of certain sets of clothes, certain language uses. So it is more common for women to use slightly formal language 
and slightly more um, refined speech. Swearing is not considered ladylike and thus not part of womanhood. That's just a construction. But even that relies on womanhood being linked to whiteness in this concept. Um, but like, if you were to see someone walking down the street and I wear glasses and I, I think you do too. Um, and if I didn't have my glasses on and I saw what looked like the outline of a skirt and long hair, I would presume womanhood there mm. because that is how I understand it. Now, are they performing womanhood in that sense? Or are they performing femininity? Because those two things aren't necessarily the same thing either. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's where the critique really needs to start going in that womanhood is one thing and femininity is another thing because femininity can exist independent of women, but it's often linked to them. Mm. Yeah, there's there's so. often there's often overlap uh, driven largely by by by, uh, you know, social norms and gendered norms. Uh, but the overlap does still exist. And I think that's where, at least uh, in my own anecdotal experience, I think that's where some people kind of disconnect is that uh, a lot of folks are eager to use those two words interchangeably where there there is a, a gap in between. Um, and so, you know, for example, uh, like kind of like you said, right, uh, the performance of womanhood is subjective in so much as the person who's performing it as well as the person who is perceiving that performance. And of course, from a communication standpoint, right, that's how meaning is made, right? Everybody is sending and receiving information simultaneously. So I think that that's an important factor to consider there. Yeah, I, w I was actually talking with uh, one of my classes that I teach, I think it was two nights ago now. Um, I'm non-binary. So mm. a lot of my clothing choices depend on comfort, but I do have skirts and dresses and things like that. And I was having a conversation with my PhD advisor some years ago, and I, I brought up the fact that when I'm wearing a skirt or if I'm wearing more makeup on my face, people give me less space. Mm. And she was a little confused. She was like, wouldn't it be more? Because the, the violation of perceived gender would be the thing that she thought was more important. But in reality, what was important is that femininity and womanhood, but femininity in particular, isn't given the same space that masculinity is. My physical space is drawn differently by mm. almost six feet in an elevator. Um, so I, not necessarily womanhood there, but I would posit that one of the things that womanhood is performing in that context, or at least the people who are performing womanhood next to someone who isn't, is performing almost a retraction from themselves, like from the outside world in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Like they are expected to move out of the way from other people. It's a performance that's deferential when it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I, I, that's interesting because I was just, uh, just last night watching the uh, Florida senatorial debate between Val Demings and Marco Rubio. And you know, the debates themselves are very interesting and informative, but perhaps almost as interesting are the interpretations of the debate as made by political pundits. And one of the things that I noticed a lot of folks were saying about Val Demings is that her candor was inappropriate, that she was perhaps being too aggressive, too domineering. And I can't help but wonder if Val Demings was, I don't know, Victor Demings, or you get what I'm saying, if it had been a man making those same statements, would that had been perceived the same way? My guess is no. And it is the, in my opinion at least, it is the interplay between femininity and womanhood that, uh, that ultimately results in those sorts of um, sometimes unconscious misinterpretations of messages. 
I would agree. I would, um, I would point out the ways that like Hillary Clinton was masculinized or even higher political figures in other countries, the way that they have to enact their womanhood is always less feminine than the ways that the society would like kind of give you. Mm-hmm. Um, and even by being in positions of power, their femininity is stripped from them. And in the process, their womanhood is stripped from them. So like the, um, kind of alt-right conservative conspiracy theories that Michelle Obama is actually a trans woman is part of that. And underlying that is also the issues of femininity and black women. So like black women are stripped of their femininity in Mm -hmm. ways that white women aren't. So like the concept of womanhood being one thing that is performed can't ever really be said because it depends on who's doing it, who's seeing it, but also what their different intersections um, they kind of exist are. Right. Now you see Michelle Obama, very direct, very powerful, very, you know, controlling of a room that must not be a woman. It could not be a woman because only a man can control a room like that. And I think that that's sort of the the uh, nexus of where conspiracies are, are, are birthed in that way. Interesting. So, okay, this is a podcast about relationships. And so I, I must at least ask one obligatory relational question. Um, in what ways do you perceive at least through the enactment of gender, specifically through the performance of womanhood and or femininity, do we uh, form, maintain our, our relationships? How, how does that overlap between womanhood and femininity contribute to the ways in which folks form relationships? I would say that because womanhood can be emotional in some ways without being a violation of itself, unlike masculinity, mm. womanhood allows relationships to form in of themselves. Like there, there is more different and there are more deeper bonds and different types of bonds that they can form. So in the context of like a heterosexual pairing, the relationship a woman will have with a man in that context tends to not be the only relationship. And I think that's the important part of talking about relationships in that context, because it's not the one place that they get all their emotional needs from. Um, But the problem is they're expected to be the source of all the emotional needs for their partner. And I think that's carried on through the ways that we socialize young women and girls in how they respond to people who aren't girls. Mm. Um, Kind of um, boys can be boys and that's okay, but women have to do and girls have to do the right thing. They're supposed to be good students. They're supposed to be good at what they do. They're supposed to be polite. That kind of confinement makes it in that way. Oh, interesting. So I'm I'm picturing a situation um, uh, where a young woman or perhaps even a young girl is in a situation that they, they they find themselves needing to simultaneously perform womanhood uh, slash femininity, but also access certain um, uh, you know pillars or or closets of masculinity, and that 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 they're sort of obligated to balance masculinity and femininity in a way that men are not asked to do so. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in many ways, men are often um, promoted as being more hyper-masculine and to eschew uh, feelings of femininity. 
what impact do you think that has on relationship development? Because I'm thinking about like femininity as a, yeah, as, as like a nurturing, caregiving, loving experience that if you purposefully avoid, it's going to damage your ability to form relationships. Is that what you've noted in your uh, endeavors and uh, uh, journeys? I would, I, I would agree with you, but I wouldn't say that femininity is inherently nurturing because mm. I think there's a nurturing component to masculinity, but in our culture specifically, that component is disregarded mm. because it's too tied to femininity. Um, but w- what I've seen, especially in like kind of the normative heterosexual relationship and even like same sex relationships is that the feminine partner is the more nurturing one and is the one who's willing to do the emotional labor in the relationship. Um, and they tend to always be the one who does it. Oh, that's, if that makes sense. Like it's, no, it's absolutely. rare that those switch more. Absolutely. And it also makes me think of like the, the stigma that uh, I think was a little bit more common around 2010, where you would see a non-heterosexual couple or a, a couple that's presenting as same sex. And, and you say, well, which one is the woman? Which one is the man? Right. And that sort of expectation dictates who is and is not allowed to access those more uh, emotional or nurturing spaces. Interesting. I would say the who wears the pants in the relationship is the same thing, but in a much more heteronormative way yeah. because pants have to be male. Right, right, of course. Okay, last thing that I want to talk about. Um, I'm going to, uh, there, there's a certain, I'm going to use the word rigidity. There's a certain rigidity or, or perhaps a lack of flexibility in certain positions in pop culture or perhaps in the media that refuse to acknowledge all of the complexity and nuance that we've been talking about. And I want to preface this conversation by noting that this is especially pronounced in circles that are led or spearheaded by non-women. Right. So we're talking about spaces where non-women are in charge, really trying to dictate the nature of what womanhood not only can, but should look like. So my question is, why do we find so many of these spaces clinging so desperately to this sort of like binary um, uh, conceptualization of, of womanhood? That's a really big question. It's just the and. And the way that my brain went was many different ways. It depends on which group we're talking about. If we're talking about like conservative groups who want to preserve kind of a larger structure of kind of hierarchy, Mm. it's when you start losing one of the main pillars that kind of is the foundation of the ways that you make hierarchy, which is gender, along with like class and race, the, the argument that one is better, this is the way it's supposed to be, kind of falls apart. And if they can't have it like... This is if they were wrong, that means everything they believed was wrong. So they have to hold on to these pillars and foundational ideas about mm. people and binaries. Um, the the other part of that, I would say, is if if you are trying to maintain a certain concept of the world, having nuance will never let you have that because nuance will always try to make something more complex and, and try to like figure out where the kind of gray areas are. And if there's a gray area, you can't have your binary anymore because it's now a spectrum right. and spectrums don't allow that. <laughs> well, I mean, t- technically there's room for gray on a spectrum, but there's also room for, uh, for black and white on a spectrum. It's just that I think folks, 
don't like uh, the gradient effect, if you will. Yeah, the idea that something can smoothly transition into another um, is a little bit kind of uncomfortable for people whose understanding of the world is in the, just in black and white or black, white and gray, gray mm -hmm. being the thing that we throw out, essentially. Right. Right. And, you know, I think that the, the overarching point um, that we can make here as, as it pertains to kind of, kind of like this, like resistance to any and all uh, conversations of nuance is often nested in what you said, which is it's not that people are inherently against um, non-traditional performances of womanhood, as an example. I think it comes down more to this idea of, well, if I have to question what womanhood is, then I need to question every decision I've ever made that led me to my understanding of womanhood. It's kind of like when you're in a cult. <laughs> not, not that, you know, everyone who feels that way is in a cult, but when you're in a cult, people ask, well, why can't you just leave the cult? And it's not that simple because you have a lot invested. And so to question one thing that your leader is saying is to question everything that led you up to that point. And I think that at a less extreme level, surely, that might be what we're seeing here, right? That the, the questioning of womanhood would then force somebody to question their own gender or perhaps their own sexuality, which is probably why when folks see images of um, someone who is a woman that they then find out has perhaps a set of genitalia that they were unaware of, they find it offensive. Is, is that tracking? Is that kind of what we're getting at here? That, tr that tracks for me. Um I wouldn't say it's less than a cult, though, because I think what we tend to forget is the enculturation that we have from society is even more pervasive because it's so subtle and so not really thought about, like challenging our conceptions of the world when everything around us tells us one thing is almost impossible. Um, one of the things I do with my students is to try to go for assumptions. Like what assumption led you to X? Mm. And even doing that with someone who's part of the conversation and wants to challenge these things and wants to think about it in a particular way is really hard because it's the thing that you don't think about that you need to find. So they can't think about the thing that they don't know because they don't realize it's there because realizing it's there will make their ideas fall apart in the first place. Oh yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of, um, an activity. I don't know if he still does it, but a uh, doctor, Dr. Coulter, right. Who's been on the show a couple of times. He used to do an activity on the first day of class where he would mention his partner, Jordan, which is a, a gender ambiguous name. And at the very end of class, he would ask his students, you know, what do you, what do you think of me in terms of my own sexuality? Do you think that Jordan is a man or a woman? And it always throws his students for a loop. Um, I mean, I know he doesn't do that anymore because uh, he's in a different relationship now. But the, the, the point remains salient of you don't know whether or not to question something until you've been asked or directed to question that thing. And so all of those students had something in their mind about who Jordan was, but never really questioned who Jordan might be. It's just kind of, it's just kind of a fleeting thought. And I think that's where things like heteronormativity and, and hegemony come into play, where it's this sort of structure that, that hovers above us that we never really question. And we really only need to acknowledge when someone forces us to kind of look up and stare at it. I would 100% agree with that. Um, I think the thing that maybe we didn't talk about 
as much as the material effects of that. Mm. So like the idea of me getting less space when I enact something that's more feminine, the idea that women feel less safe in places because of the material effects of womanhood and femininity in society. All of those things I think are as important, if not more important than theoretical stuff that we've really talked about because Right. When you talk about womanhood, you have to talk about in the context of where you're at and what the effects of womanhood are on the people who have womanhood and the people who don't. Well, so. well, Gia, I've got some good news for you. <laughs> and that good news is that next week, um, our topic of conversation is going to be motherhood, which is one of the many, many, many uh, tangible uh, effects that we see attached to womanhood. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that um, with Dr. Sarah Jones and talking about um, some of the unique challenges, hurdles, and benefits uh, of, of motherhood. But we are just about out of time. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I may call your number again in the future if that's all right. That would be perfect. And thank you so much for having me. It was an, an absolute pleasure. So that's all we've got for now. We could do a whole podcast on this alone. But next week, we will be digging into motherhood. And from there, we're going to be, believe it or not, wrapping up the season in just a couple of weeks. So I look forward to talking with you all then. Uh, but until then, uh, I wish you a, a happy and healthy week. Go Yankees. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.